Welcome to A Journey of Transformation Empowerment. You're listening to Antonio T. Smith Jr. Where ideas ignite, change, and possibilities are endless. Before we dive into today's episode, we have something special for our listeners. Today's podcast is brought to you by a groundbreaking book that's reshaping the conversation around Black economic empowerment. It's Resegregation, Volume 1, The Power Matrix, a master plan for Black group economics with wealth creation, authored by visionary Antonio T. Smith, Jr., Antonio isn't just an author. He's a former top-secret combat special operations intelligence sergeant turned millionaire. His life work championed the economic autonomy and wealth creation within black communities. In this seminal work, dedicated to teachings of Dr. Claude Anderson, Antonio outlines a comprehensive blueprint covering critical sectors like finance, technology, manufacturing, and more. He blends military discipline with acute understanding of systematic disparity. This isn't just a book. It's a movement. A call to action to create lasting wealth and reshaping the economic narrative. Antonio's vision is clear. Drive a significant shift toward black ownership and control. Listeners, if you've ever wondered about innovative strategies for wealth creation or how technological transformation can uplift the black communities, then this book is for you. Join Antonio Smith Jr. on the transformative journey. Pick up your copy of The Resegregation Volume 1, The Power Matrix today and be a part of the reshaping future. Now, let's dive into the episode and explore the possibilities that await us. Lecture 15, Luke 9, 51-62, The Cost of the Gospel. Well, if we can, go to Luke chapter 9. Yeah, Luke chapter 9, and then verse 51 through 62. That's what we're going to do. Luke chapter 9, 51 through 62. Amen. God is good. Good to see all of you in this wonderful place. Amen. Luke chapter 9, 51 through 62. Amen. Very good passage today. Very good passage today. And so what we're going to be doing today is we're still, we're still in our what if. And so I, I don't know if this is like 14 or 15 or maybe 13. I'm not sure. But what if. So here it is. What if. And so basically what if means what would be the message of the New Testament if it only consisted of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. This means you also have access to the Old Testament. Okay, so you have. I'm not throwing the Bible. Well, we're not throwing the Bible out of anything. We're just isolating or exegetically isolating Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But we also have 
access to the Old Testament. Because this, this is, uh, and so even though Paul's letters were first before the Gospels, we're just, we're just doing this for exercise. We're explaining what is the Gospel. And what's the best way to explain the Gospel is to examine the Gospels. Right? That, that's the best way. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And so we've done Matthew, we've done Mark, and now we're in Luke. And so we've been talking about Luke, and then we've been talking about the king, and I've been kind of walking you to a certain place. And then the same way Mark has a hinge point, the same way Matthew has a hinge point, Luke has a hinge point, and that's what we're going to discuss today. Hinge point means this is when Luke's, or, or this is when this particular writer's story has, is about to rush to this, this wonderful climax. This is the beginning of the end of their story. This is when the plot thickens, and Matthew says, now, or Luke says, now, this is what I've come to talk about. And this is our particular passage right here. So I'm going to read this entire passage. It's two different, if, you, if your Bible has subtitles, it has, it's split in two different sections, but it's two different sections. But as a matter of fact, I'll do this here. I'll read the first section, and then I'll have um, Pastor Temple read the second section because he's got King James. And I really like the way the second second sound of King James. So you're going to read 57 through 62. And when you get to 62, I want you to slow down and read that with power. 62. Luke chapter 9, 57 through 62 is what you're going to read. And I will read Luke chapter 9, 51 through 56. And so when, and I'll read English Standard Version. When the days drew near from him to be taken up, he set his face to Jerusalem, and he sent messages ahead of him. He went and entered a village of Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set towards Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them, and they went on to another village, Pastor Temple. And it came to pass that as they went in the ways, in the way, a certain man said unto him, Lord, I will follow thee whithersoever thy goest. And Jesus said unto him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air home nests have met. But the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. And he said unto another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. Jesus said unto him, mm -hmm. Let the dead bury that dead, but go die and preach the kingdom of God. And another also said, Lord, I will follow thee, but let me first go Bid them farewell, which are at home at my house. Now here's where we pay attention. And Jesus said unto him, No man, having put his hand to the plow, and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. All right. It's a whole lot here, and I thank you very much for reading. And I, and I really, um, again, this English Standard Version is it's my custom, my, my normal translation. However, King James is the most beautiful sounding Bible that has ever been written. And so God is, is wonderful. And some stuff just sounds, well, everything sounds beautiful in King James. 
Some passages should only be read in King James, and I wanted you to hear no man who sets his head to the gospel plow. I want you to hear that in King James just for tradition's sake. Listen, here, here is what we have. We have now Luke is saying, okay, pay attention because this is what I've been writing chapters 1 through 8 about in the big piece of chapters nine, chapter 9. This is what's getting ready to happen. And from this moment, everything happens because of this. So watch how the text opened up. In Luke chapter 9, verse 51, he immediately says, When the days drew near for him to be, there you go, to be lifted or to be taken up, he set his face to Jerusalem. Now, now, now there, there, there's a whole lot here. There, there's a whole lot. Because Jesus had already... Jesus will say or had already said that, listen, in the same, don't, don't you remember, in, back in the Old Testament, he doesn't say the Old Testament, I'm just paraphrasing, in the same manner in which Moses lifted the serpent is the same manner in which the Son of Man must be lifted up. And where does this lifting occur? In Jerusalem. Amen. Amen. And, so, and so we're not just talking about the ascension here, and, and one can argue that because God is, excuse me, with well, Jesus who is God is lifted again. This time he's lifted to the Father, but we're talking about his earthly lifting in which he's lifted to the Father for people. Lord have mercy, right? And so here we are, we're talking about the cross. And so in Luke chapter 9, Jesus, according to Luke, Jesus has set himself ready to be crucified. Amen. He understands that my time is now come. There are things I need to do, and the most important thing I need to do is to take up my cross. Yeah. Okay, now think about this here for a second, because look, how, look, look at how Luke begins this passage and how he ends this passage. In Luke chapter 9, verse 51, he says, And then when the days were drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to Jerusalem. So not only would he be taken up on the cross, but it would be in Jerusalem that he would have to lift this cross. So basically, Luke is saying Jesus is ready for the cross. Amen. Now let's watch how this particular passage ends. The last verse, which I had Pastor Temple read in King James, verse 62, says Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom. Okay, now I'm getting ready to, to show you the sandwich in between, but let me show you the bookends. The bookends are 51, Jesus is getting ready to be lifted up, and he sets his face towards Jerusalem. The bookend, the other bookend is that Jesus says, nobody who has set their face towards Jerusalem is fit to preach, to inhabit to be an heir of the kingdom of God if he turns back from what he has set. And so all the time in between, you're getting ready to find out that people who are not Jesus are getting ready to have an opportunity to be lifted with Jesus, to have an opportunity to share in Jesus's glory, to have an opportunity to pick up their plow, to pick up their cross, and they all are going to reject it. Like, like, so, 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 and, and how does Jesus do this? He shows you, well, how does Luke do this, does this? Luke shows you 
two different sets of people. Let's go first to the Samaritans, because that's how Luke writes this particular passage. If you don't know anything about the Samaritans, which I know you do, but I'll explain it anyway, just for teaching purposes. The Samaritans were what you would call, if, if they were animals, which are not, but, but they were viewed as animals in the first century by the Jews because they were mixed breeds. Now, I'm being very uh, inflammatory with my words. I'm, I'm, trying to, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to describe them like dogs, Amen. not because I think they're dogs in the first century. The Jews thought they were dogs, right? You know, because, because, simply because they were part Jewish and then mixed with something else amongst the people. So they were, they had Hebrew descent, but since they didn't follow Hebrew law, some did, and since they mixed each other, they mixed with Babylonian and anything else, they were not the promised people because in order for you to be the promised people and sharing the promised son and sharing God's promise, you had to be of Hebrew descent, pure, and follow Hebrew laws purely. And since you were of the line of Abraham, this meant that you would reign on earth forever with the king and be head of the kingdom with the king. This is what God had promised them. God had promised them. In Genesis chapter 12, verses 1, 2, and 3, Abraham, listen, I'm going to make you a father of many nations. As a matter of fact, that this, your nation will rule the earth. As a matter of fact, only will it rule the earth through your seed, all the nations of the earth will be saved. So it's a big deal to be Hebrew because we are the people that the world needs to have deliverance and all that deliverance is going to come through us. Amen. Now, when you think about that, imagine being fed that generation after generation. Imagine being told that in the lunch table, every Passover. Imagine being told that as a Hebrew that you are the one who is going to save the world. Every generation knew or was hoping or had an, expect, an expectancy that this was going to happen in their lifetime. And so now you have it to where you're like us, but you are as pure as us. You aren't as faithful as us. And what do we do when we look at people like that? We hate them. And so you're, you're sitting in the middle of the fact that you have Samaritans and the Jews hate Samaritans because you, how are you going to get our promise that you don't follow our laws? Right? Like you're going to get, and this is the tension that's created with this gospel. Like Jesus comes in and creates this, this tension. The people feel that now we're working really hard to be this here. And you didn't work hard with the genetic, you, like you've, you, you've mixed it all. You, 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 you eat meat sacrificed to idols. You, you don't do any of the work, but you want all the promise. No, we're not going to do that. You, you want all the reward, but you don't do any of the work like we do. And so this is why Hebrews are hated so much and so profoundly why Hebrews are hated. And so here's the deal. Jesus goes into this. Well, actually, let's read it. Let's read what Luke says. Luke says, verse 52, and he sent messages ahead of him. Kind of like, kind of, kind of Old Testament prophet uh, um, like the Old Testament prophets went ahead of Jesus to proclaim the coming of Jesus, and so now Jesus is saying, "Okay, listen, you messengers, which right, you Angelion, you, 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 you messengers, you, you people, go send out that I'm coming, and watch 
they is hate on both sides. Jews hate them, Samaritans hate them. And so now the text says in verse 52, and he sent messages ahead of them. He went, who went and entered the village of the hated people, Samaritans, of the lower people, Samaritans, to make preparations for Jesus. Okay, so the, the messengers sent preparations for the king, and watch what happens. But the people did not receive him because his face was set towards Jerusalem. Now, this is all kingly language here. Let's, let me see if I can get this. Let me see if I can put your, let me see if I take your mind out to the 21st century. When the king of any era sent a messenger, you had to respect the messenger like you respected the king. This is what we get out of saying, don't shoot the messenger. Like, this is where we get our saying from. So, because if you reject, because however you treated the messenger is how you treated the king, because the messenger is speaking a word directly from the king. Is that starting to make sense? And so, Jesus, who is the king, is sending messengers before, and they should not shoot the messengers. And so, what happens is, since Jesus has his face towards Jerusalem, since his attitude, since his energy, since, he, since Jesus has his, his energy, effort, heart, intent going towards Jerusalem, the Samaritans get offended and reject the king. Now, 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 now watch this here. Watch this here. The people who needed the king most because they, they were not, as far as first century expectancies goes, they were not in the line of Abraham. The God, this Jesus, according to Luke, who's a Gentile himself, he's showing them that, listen, I came to you. Like, I, I went outside the promise. And, and well, I went outside the promise that they understood as a promise. And I'm fulfilling the all nations part of the promise, but you worried about me looking towards Jerusalem my intent towards Jerusalem, and so you reject me because you don't like where I'm going. Somebody, okay, I'm, I'm walking, I'm walking somewhere, right? So the people outside of the ark of safety reject the king because they don't like where the king is going. Okay, and, and so in this, and there's so many different ways, there's so many different things about the king is going here. The king is going to his own people. The king is going to Jerusalem, the center of the Hebrew nation, right? He, he's doing all this stuff, and we can argue about all that later, but that, I just need you to understand that the king is going towards the cross. That's what I need you to get, okay? So Jesus is getting ready to tell you later, look, look, if you won't, if you won't follow me, deny yourself and take up the cross. You know, you, if you want to follow me, you, you, in fact, he's going to tell the people, well, let, let me sit at your right hand. He's going to tell them, listen, you don't even know what you're asking for Amen. because you can't drink from the cup I'm getting ready to drink from. Jesus says, listen, I'm, I'm focused here and you're rejecting me. And so the disciples say, well, 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 well do you want us to call down fire from heaven? Now, now this is, I like this part of the particular passage. It's mean, but this is a particular part in which the disciples are actually believing they have the power. And they do, because Jesus had granted them the power. And so this is one of the wonderful times in the text in which Jesus doesn't deny that they had the power to do so. What Jesus does is rebuke them for being willing to misuse their power. Lord have mercy. Amen, right? Jesus rebukes them for wanting to kill who have rejected them. 
in, in a nutshell, that was grace right on the spot. Before there was ever the crucifixion, Jesus was already sparing lives. Come on now, amen, right? But before, before, before Jesus died for all of us, he was making sure the least of us can live. Amen. amen. And this is powerful. This is extremely powerful because this is the hinge point. All these themes and motifs are getting ready to take dominant control over Luke. So to a first century Jew, to anyone reading in the spirit, if the spirit was to reveal to you, this king is rejected but letting people live. Amen. Lord have mercy. Amen. So book ends, let's go book ends again. First he says, I'm, I'm getting ready to be uh, lifted up. And then he says, don't put your hand to the plow and turn it away. So basically, Jesus, in one part of this story, is letting people live while rejected. And when you get to the end of the story, he's crucified and rejected and still letting us live. Come on now. Amen. And so this, 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 this theme, this motif plays out that before Jesus ever shed blood on the cross, he was rebuking un, irresponsible power. He was rebuking irresponsible power to let people live. Before he shed his own blood, he was sparing the bloods of those who rejected him. That in itself is possible and is, is powerful, and that in itself is the gospel. Before Jesus Christ shed his own blood, he was making sure you get to keep yours where it's at. Even in your filth. And that's just a powerful part. They were too ignorant, too evil, too much in flesh. They did not know what they were talking about. In, 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 in good theological terms, they were too dead to know that they needed to live. And Jesus still spared them. And so let's look at this next part. And as they were going along, this is what Pastor Tipper read, the road, someone said to him, listen, man, I, I, I'll follow you wherever you go. And then Jesus said, listen, um, I, I appreciate you, but let me, let me educate you for a little bit. Because if you're talking about following me, I need you to know that the foxes have holes. You, you, you understand. And, and, and birds have, have, of the air have nests. But the son of man, this, this is his messianic title, has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus is saying, listen, I, I get that your heart wants to follow me, but there's a cost to following me. Because you're not going to follow me in comfort. Lord have mercy. Let's, let's listen to it again. Let's listen to it again. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus lets them know how uncomfortable it's going to be to follow me. He says, listen, I, foxes have holes, birds have, and air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to leave his head. Christianity was never meant to be comfortable. Amen. And we have to start getting outside of a comfortable Christianity because a comfortable Christianity is an ineffective Christianity in the name of Jesus. Amen. Right. Amen. A comfortable Christianity is an ineffective Christianity. And another one says, listen, another he said to another, I mean, to another, he said, follow me. But he said, listen, um, um, Lord, uh, listen, I got some stuff to handle. Um, I have, let, let, me, let me first go and, and bury my father. And then Jesus said to him, let the dead bury the dead. Now, the way funerals lasted in the old days, in, in, in this ancient world, 
they were a long festivity. The same like weddings for a long time, funerals were for a long time. And they had professional mourners and stuff. Funeral could last 30-something days, a long time. And this man was saying, listen, before I take up my cross, before I put my hand in this plow, let me get me together first. Amen. Oh, Lord, have mercy. Check this out. When God, in order, to, in order to properly follow Christ, we have to let it all go Amen. and follow him. We have to literally deny ourselves. And then what we think makes ourselves, God will add unto us. Amen. Let dead folk bury dead folk. Let, let folk who are already going to hell already go to hell. You, you, let, you let like deal with like and you come with me because if you come with me now, we can go back and help them folk. Amen. But if you go help them folk now, I can't even help you. Because you're disconnected from me. And so the bookend works in this manner. This, this is like, and we're, we're proving what this gospel is. This gospel is something extremely much more powerful. Like this, nowhere here, nowhere in here has, have we talked about faith. We, we're not talking about faith right now because the gospel is more than just faith. We're, we're talking about the cost of the gospel. And the gospel comes with a cost. And the cost of the gospel is to disband your comfort. Amen. There is nothing about the gospel that tells you to be comfortable. It tells you to be happy, tells you to be forgiving, but even in uncomfort, be happy. Even in uncomfort, be forgiving. Jesus was not comfortable on the cross. So don't expect for you to take up your cross and be comfortable. So, as far as Luke is concerned, at least this section of Luke, as we continue to open and feed this gospel a little more and describe what it is, it's the cost of the gospel we've unveiled today. And this gospel cost a whole lot. In short, and I've already said it, but I'll repeat it because it just sounds good. Christianity was never meant to be comfortable. God, thank you for a wonderful revelation you've given to us we, we appreciate you that we've been afforded the opportunity to be uncomfortable with you God you've done an amazing job thank you Lord. in Jesus name Amen when the pandemic began I had the biggest problem in the world not making money the pandemic was actually quite a blessing for me as it almost made me a billionaire. I came really close. So the pandemic was a blessing. It was hiring people. And get this, everybody. I had 48 job positions open during the pandemic. $22 an hour with paid training. And I could not find a single person for two years to fit any of those 48 job positions. Hear me well. 48 job positions. $22 an hour. Paid training. And I couldn't find someone, not one person, for those job positions. Now, is it because I hire slowly? True. But it's because I wasn't using ZipRecruiter. And that's a fact. 
I wasn't getting to the right people for the right position to fit my right culture. And there are so many different things that you can do this summer. As a matter of fact, you can free up as much time as you want to. But if you're not using ZipRecruiter, you're probably not going to free up that time if you're attempting to hire people. So what is ZipRecruiter? What is probably the greatest job finder that's out there? And that's why you need ZipRecruiter. You need it so you can find the right candidates. Now, it's not that ZipRecruiter helps you find jobs. It's more accurately that ZipRecruiter takes your culture, takes your job, takes what you're looking for, and immediately matches them with the perfect candidate. And if, the, if, it's, if they can't find a perfect candidate, they will skip over that person and then give you the perfect candidate for you. ZipRecruiter uses one of its most powerful tools, which is the technology itself, to match the right candidates up with your job. You can easily review uh, their recommendations and easily review their recommended candidates and invite these candidates to apply for your top positions. Additionally, ZipRecruiter has a complete suite of tools that makes it easy for you to filter out, uh, review, and rate candidates. Four out of five employees uh, have been used by four out of five employers on ZipRecruiter. It is a blessing. And no wonder ZipRecruiter is rated number one hiring site in the world based on G2 satisfaction ratings as of this year, January 1st. My friends, soak up everything I said. It's not an ad. This is a personal testimony of how I found the right people to sit in the right seat on the right bus. Without ZipRecruiter, it wouldn't have been possible. So how do you take advantage of what I'm talking about? Well, you go to ZipRecruiter.com slash B2B. All spelled the regular way. That's Zip, Z-I-P, Recruiter, R-E-C, Aura, U-I-T-E-R, ZipRecruiter.com slash B2B. And I promise you, you will be grateful that you did so. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash B2B. It's also in the show notes.